everyone. Can you hear me okay? You can't hear me? Can you, how about now? Does that sound better? All right. Well, uh, good morning and welcome to our first ever outdoor service as a church. It's great to be together. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, it is, uh, I, you know, this pandemic has been difficult uh, for all of us, uh, but one thing it, I think it's taught us among many is just how precious it is to be together um, and to be together in the Lord's presence. So we're glad that you're here and we're glad we can gather and we're glad that you can join us online as well. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. And on most Sundays I get to, to bring God's word, though I'm looking forward in our psalm series. We're going to hear from some of the other pastors during August. Um, we are taking the summer to go through eight different types of psalms. There are 150 psalms, um, and there are eight different types of psalms among the 150, so we're going to do eight different messages, uh, hitting on each type. And these psalms are meant to shape the experience uh, of God's people. It's meant to shape our lives. These would have been, in their day, very familiar to the Old Testament people of God. Uh, it, it would have been the songs and the poems that they would recite, uh, that they would recite to one another. And so these psalms are, are meant to have an impact on our lives. Uh, they originally, most of them were set to music. Um, we don't know what the actual music was, but, but they're basically what we have are the lyrics to songs. That's what the psalms are in many ways. Um, and it's, so that's important to understand. It's important to think about that and to take that into consideration as we go through the psalms. Imagine, guys, if uh, 3,000 years from now, somebody found a box of song lyrics from our time. And there was no other connection with our culture, right? All the other traces of our culture were lost, except for this box of songs. And they opened the box, and there was a song. It said this, picture perfect, you don't need no filter. Gorgeous, make them drop dead, you're a killer. Showering you with all my attention, yeah, the... These are my only intentions. Stay in the kitchen, cook up, cut your own bread. Heart full of equity, you're an asset. Make sure that you don't need no mentions. Yeah, these are my only intentions. Anyone know that song? No? Justin Bieber. Come on. It was on the, like, the top ten just recently. Uh, how about this one for older folks? Um, I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride. Something touched me deep inside the day the music died. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. Now remember, this is 3,000 years later. You're reading the lyrics and wondering what they mean. And if you were there to talk to that person looking at those lyrics, you'd want them to understand it isn't just what the words say. It's just not the, the content of those words, but there's a feel to this. There actually was music, uh, and, and the use of the words were, were put together in such a way that they, they had an impact. When you listened, you felt a certain way, you thought a certain way. Well, that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are meant to not only convey content, but to convey a sense and have an impact on our lives in terms of how we feel and how we process life, how we think about life with God. And so as we go through these psalms, just kind of keep that in mind, um, that God, through His Word, in these psalms, is, is after an impact in our lives that's beyond just information. 
but wants to touch our lives with the truths and have them to be felt deeply, as, as really all good music, all good poetry would work. And certainly Godward, God-focused music and poetry, in a special way, brings us to uh, an understanding and experience of truth in a profound way. So they should shape our lives. So with that in mind, let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand uh, the Psalms. Uh, sorry, yeah, thank you. I was going to ask someone to turn off the AC. Um, I forgot to turn it off. Uh, but let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand Psalm 116. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these Psalms. We thank you for Psalm 116. And Lord, I ask you to help me to clearly explain your word, but I pray even more than just explaining to convey by your spirit, that you would convey to us by your spirit a sense of, of the impact that this psalm is supposed to make in our lives. That we would be shaped by it and we would, we would think and feel and act differently as a result. We thank you for this amazing book of 150 of these psalms. And now, Lord, grant us grace to engage you in your word, to hear from you, and to be changed by you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So read along with me. I'm going to read, uh, you can listen as I read, Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This psalm captures the depths of despair and the heights of joy for one who has rescued out of dire circumstances by our gracious God. It's meant to touch our hearts and compel us to follow the same example. It teaches us that in our greatest struggles, we're to call upon our gracious God and celebrate His rescue with a life of thanksgiving and dependence. So let's talk about this and let's look first about our greatest struggles. The psalm is actually arranged in a certain way. Uh, we've talked about this form before. It's called a chiasm. Uh, and so the psalm actually uh, goes down in a parallel way to a pivot point and then back. And so the beginning and the end... Uh, correlate, and then each, each line as you go down and as you go back until you get to that middle, correlate. 
so to tell you, uh, if you have that psalm in front of you, verses 1 and verses 18 through 19 parallel each other because they are about loving and praising God. They both actually start with a simple, stark phrase. The first word in the psalm is, I love. That's how it starts out. I love the Lord. And the way this psalm ends is one word in the Hebrew, praise the Lord. So these, these are in parallel. They connect with each other. Verses 2 and verse 17 speak of calling on the Lord. So they're in parallel. Like calling on the Lord in different ways, by the way. You'll see in the beginning that calling on the Lord is in trouble. Calling out to Him for help. But at the end, it's calling on the Lord in thanksgiving and worship. And so the psalmist wants us to understand that we're, to call, we're called to this lifestyle of calling out to God. Calling to Him when we need help and calling to Him when He gives us help in thanksgiving and praise. Verse 3 and 15 through 16 speak the cords of death. Um, the bonds of death. So they're in parallel. That's part of the situation. And then we see again in 4 to 5 and 13, uh, calling on God again. And then verses 6 and 13, the second half, speak of salvation, being rescued. And then verses 7 through 8 and 12, they're in parallel, speak of God's benefit. And then in the middle is verse 10 to 11. These speak of the dire situation. That's where we're going to begin. That's because the psalmist is pointing to that situation. And really everything kind of connects to that. So the dire situation, it says there, the psalmist said uh, he believed and he spoke. He was greatly afflicted. And he said, all men are liars. This is the expression of the psalmist's experience. He's greatly afflicted. And all men are liars. There's something going on in the psalmist's life where there's affliction, there's, there's struggle, there's something happening uh, probably uh, even a sickness, a serious sickness, but it's not just the sickness alone. There's some betrayal by people as well going on. There's this combination of dire circumstances. It's enough to go through sickness. It's enough to, to have circumstances that are troubling, but then to have your friends and those closest to you abandoning you as well, on top of that, creates this perfect storm of trouble. That's what's going on for the psalmist. Now, we don't know the specifics. If this was written by David, uh, it doesn't credit it to David. But David went through things like this. King David, he was betrayed by his son. Uh, had his kingdom in rebellion, a civil war. His own son Absalom led that. He had to leave the palace and run for his life. It, it certainly would fit this description. There's another time in Dave's, David's life as well. He writes about it elsewhere where there's some sort of sickness and some sort of abandonment that goes on. So perhaps that's what's going on. Um, there's something happening here uh, in the situation where it's a near-death experience. There's great anguish of soul. So he's saying there's cords, the cords or chains or bonds of death are around him, pulling him down. There's some sort of anguish that's ensnared him and would destroy him, body and soul. That's what's going on. It speaks of uh, Sheol, um, the, the cords of Sheol, the place of the dead. So there's some dire situation that would drag him down to death, an untimely death. But it's left vague. We don't know the specifics. And I think that's on purpose. The reason it's vague is that we would be able to relate to it. That God's people would be able to relate to this. That they would be able to see in this psalm their own experience. Their own dark nights of the soul. Their own times of despair and despondency in this psalm. 
you live long enough, you see this. You see it personally. You see it in others. I watched my dad go through cancer and chemo. And I watched my dad go through things like this. Now, he didn't have the abandonment of friends. But I'm sure at times he felt incredibly alone because no one else had what he had. He went through, he, he had uh, squamous cell cancer that went to his lungs. He went through multiple lung operations. When he was done, he was left with only uh, one-third of a whole lung. Went through radiation and chemo. And it was years for him. We've watched others that we love in our church go through these sorts of things. To get cancer, to be on chemo for a long time, it saps you not only of physical energy in life, but spiritual energy in life. It's like what's going on with this psalm. But add on top of this in this psalm, uh, not only going through something like that, extending chemo and sickness, but having your friends betray you. Now, how could that happen? Well, imagine a situation, this is not going on in our church, but imagine a situation where, where people are start t talking about why you have cancer. Well, you know, it's the diet. They didn't eat right. Or, you know, the, the sins of their youth. They lived a wild life and it's caught up with them. That sort of talk that going on when you're sick, when the people should be supporting you and giving you the benefit of the doubt and just loving on you, and instead they're not, they're not only absent, but they are slandering you. That's what's going on here. And the reality is, guys, that we live long enough, we're going to see this, and we're probably going to see it personally. The Bible doesn't pull punches. Now, there's lots of celebration in the Bible. There's lots of psalms about the wonder and grace of God, for sure. But it doesn't pull punches on the reality that life at times is horrible and hard. And you will sooner or later face a dark night of the soul. And I would not be serving you well to kind of go around this. Let's not talk about this stuff. Let's just talk about the good stuff. That doesn't help. It doesn't work. I watch sometimes other people speak about God's Word and they, and they skirt around these issues and I think you're not helping people. Because if you're just positive and you don't face the reality of struggle and the dark nights of the soul and the core of this psalm, you're not equipping people to find in God things that are truly positive and, and life-changing and to be able to give those things to others. The reality is, guys, life is going to be difficult at times. And there will be dark nights of the soul and there will be times when you despair and you're despondent and you want to give up. This psalm is for you. This psalm is meant to instruct you and inspire you before, during, and after those dark times. This psalm is meant to operate in our lives as something we're so familiar with that it shapes us. And when we arrive in those moments of struggle, we're already equipped how to think about it and how to live. And when we arrive with others who are in this moment of struggle, we're already equipped how to think about it and how to help them. Jesus was familiar with these psalms. It was a regular part of life. God wants us to use His Word and to be shaped by these things for our dire circumstances. Well, the psalm doesn't stop there, does it? It isn't just about 
dire circumstances. It's not 19 verses of dire circumstances. That's at the core, but there's a progression. There's a connection. The psalm works outwardly from that, and it works outwardly from that dire situation to God's benefits and God's character. There's a difference here. This is not just someone going through hard times. This is someone going through hard times who's connected to God, who knows God, and God makes all the difference. As terrible as these circumstances were and are for us at times, God's goodness and power looms larger. It's so important to understand this. Our circumstances can be overwhelming. There are things that people go through that that are just so unbelievable, you don't even want to hear it. It's overwhelming just to hear it. Hear about things that people go through. Yet, those things do not loom larger than the character and commitments of God. Who He is looms larger. And this psalm instructs us in this. He must loom larger. He does loom larger. He is greater than our greatest challenges. More sovereign and gracious and powerful than the worst circumstances. In all things, He is there for us. He is God. He is greater than our struggles. Now, this is no pie in the sky. Just think. Think it and feel it somehow. This is reality. We know it's reality in many ways, but most importantly, we know it's reality because of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ, the God-man Himself. God has come and dwelt with us in the historical person of Jesus, died on the cross for our sins, and He's been raised from the dead, alive forevermore. It's a fact, and it's a statement of the fact that God is greater than our world. Jesus has overcome the world. We must take heart because He's overcome the world. As it says in the song, look up, child. God is described in the psalm as gracious and righteous and merciful. We just finished a series in Exodus and and we learned these qualities are the core qualities of God, right? as God revealed His glory, as He spoke who He was to Moses, as Moses was held in the cleft of the rock, He described Himself this way, that he, this is who He is. He's a gracious and compassionate God. He's a God of mercy. And we learn that this is not a secondary trait of God. This is not what God has to be because we messed up. It's who God is and who He has always been. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He loves to be gracious and merciful. He loves to give us blessings we haven't earned. And He loves to spare us from consequences we deserve. This is who He is at the core. Is this who your God is? Is He gracious and merciful? It says in the Psalm 2, He's righteous. This, in this context, means that He up holds his character and his end of the bargain, his end of the covenant. When he says he's going to do something, he always does it. When he commits to somebody in covenant, he never stops being committed to them. He never flinches. He never fades. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his commitments. No matter what it costs him. This is who he is. He's righteous in that way. Everything He says He does, He never changes. The psalm focuses on this for a good purpose because 
This is true, and this is the basis of the psalmist calling upon the Lord. And it's the basis of us looking up when we're in those circumstances that are difficult. And of course he acts here in the psalm, verses 7 through 9. The psalmist says he's dealt bountifully with him. God gives and gives and gives. He, he delivers the psalmist's soul from death, his eyes from tears, his feet from stumbling, to live out his life and walking with God in fullness of life. He doesn't abandon his people to death. It says in, in the psalm he considers the death of his saints precious. Now that verse is used a lot, but if you look, it's in parallel to the earlier mentions of death. When the cords of Sheol grabbed his hold of him and were pulling him down, he called out, and then later on, you've loosed me from my bonds, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So what that means is that when we're in that place where we're, we feel like death warmed over, God is there for us. We're precious to him. He doesn't willingly and, and flippantly expose us to such, such circumstances. He doesn't say, well, whatever, if that one dies, it doesn't matter to me. It matters much to him. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's ever considering how to, to be with us and preserve us. And yes, when the time comes and the day comes, he's in control of that. It's not a willy-nilly thing. He cares about us. He wants to be there for us. And when we face things that make us feel like death, he is there for us. That's what's being said here. So he acts graciously. He he rescues. He doesn't abandon the psalmist to death. He doesn't abandon us to death. He rescues us. Now we will see God work this way throughout our lifetime. There will be seasons of suffering and then deliverance. It's just how life is. And God knows how to weave that all together. And it looks different for us. When, when Jesus told Peter that he... He would essentially suffer for his name. He said, well, what about that guy? What about John? How about he suffers too? This isn't fair. Jesus says, basically, that's not your business. You follow me. And so as we follow him, it will look different for us. And it will, life will have times of ups and downs and feeling like death at times. And then the Lord will deliver us circumstantially. But I don't want to ground you in that because I, I, I don't know how God will do that exactly. But what I do know for sure, what we can know for sure, is that He's already proven this in Jesus and the good news of Christ. He has dealt bountifully with us already. Out of His righteousness, His grace, and His mercy, and His kindness, He's already dealt bountifully with us through Christ, through the good news, through the Gospel. Through salvation. The Bible has lots to say about how God does this. God, the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in rescuing us and saving us from the worst death we could face. First, before time began, the Father has loved us. He set His affections on us before time. Before you were made. Before you existed. Determined to rescue you from death. He knew what would happen. He knew that you would be born in rebellion and pursue rebellion and experience spiritual death as a result. And yet He loved you before time began. He loved you knowing all that and He determined to rescue. So it says in Ephesians 1, uh, you have there on the back side of your, of your bulletin, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. 
in love, He predestined us for adoption before time began. He said, I'm going to save this one. I'm going to rescue this one in love from the Father. And then in time, Christ came, God in the flesh, as the God-man is Christ. And it says in Romans 8, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our situation was dire. It was worse than, than verses 10 and 11 because we were lost in our sin. We were all dead to true love and faith in God to one degree or another. It doesn't matter what degree of deadness you have, you're still dead when you're dead. And we were dead and lost in our spiritual sin. In our, in our sin, we were spiritually dead in our sin. And yet He loved us and sent His Son. So Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This amazing deliverance and rescue continues in Scripture. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You can insert your name there if you are a believer in Jesus. If you've turned from self-effort, turned from sin to trust Him, you belong to Him, you trust in what Christ has done, you can insert your name here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, God made me alive together with Christ. By grace, I have been saved. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are involved in rescuing us. So, Titus 3.5, He saved us not by, because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is our God. This is the God who is righteous, who is merciful, who is gracious. He has saved us from our sin and spiritual death to be forgiven and to belong to Him forever. He's loved us this much. This is true and we can ground our lives on this truth. He's made it clear. This is the greater reality. This is the greater dire circumstances that He's already dealt with. So we can look at that and then look at all the other lesser dire circumstances and know that He loves us in those things as well. And He will be there for us. If He gave us His own Son to rescue us from that, He's going to be with us in these other struggles. Whatever they might be. They may be the worst you've ever had. Situation like I talked about earlier. Or something lesser. But because He's already proven it through the Gospel, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know He's going to be faithful now. And so we can pray this psalm with that in mind. As we read through the psalm, and you might be feeling... Verses 10 and 11 in a special way. Read that psalm. Think through it and remember the gospel. Remember that He's already dealt bountifully with you in Jesus. Therefore, He's going to take care of you as you call upon Him. This psalm teaches us, along with Scripture, to ground ourselves in who God is and that He's there as we call upon Him. And to remember that. And I would say that most of our angst in life as Christians comes simply because we forget. We just simply forget this. And it's actually comical. I, I'm speaking of myself. I'm not thinking of anyone else when I say that. It's comical how quickly I forget. How easily I stop remembering. And that's why he's given us the psalm. So I can read the psalms in the morning and rehearse these truths to myself. By the way, I would strongly recommend reading a psalm. A day at least, in the morning or in the evening. 
we need to remember these things because we're we're like we're like a little kid uh, lost in a grocery store. I don't know if that ever happened to you as a kid. Uh, it happened to me, I think, multiple times. Uh, you can kind of figure out what I was like as a kid. Um, and I can remember, I can actually, as I, as I recount this, the experience, I, I feel the panic. Um, I can feel the panic again. And, and I, I remember one situation, I can kind of picture the, the grocery aisles. And, um, and I don't know what happened. I was old enough to walk around. My mom's shopping, and um, we come down probably the cereal aisle, you know, and it's and and I'm and I'm mesmerized by the latest version of the Captain Captain Crunch Crunch box, and you know I'm there looking at that Captain Crunch box. Um, you remember that Crunch Berries, and then there was there was all these variations they did back then. The peanut butter, remember when peanut butter crunch came out? Sorry, I'm dating myself, but I'm there mesmerized by the the box, and and when I finally come out of my trance, I look up, and my mom's gone. Um, and then as a little kid, you know, the, the feelings of panic, it's like, oh no, my mom's gone, I'm going to have to live on the streets and beg for food and fight monsters on my own. That's, that's the feeling at that moment. And, and so, you know, I'm panicking, start to scream, and there's my mom on the other end of the aisle, and I'm okay. It's funny, but I'm an adult, and I do the same thing with God. It just takes a moment of something happening in my life, I'm in that grocery store called Life. I'm staring at the Captain Crunch box uh, equivalent, and I forget, except it's something else. It's some circumstance. And my eyes are on the circumstance, and I totally forget what God's like. I totally forget that He's there. He didn't go anywhere. He's still there. And this psalm is called to remind us that He's there. So call upon Him. He's good. He deals bountifully with us. The gospel is the, the final proof of that for us to stand on. So, so remember that and go there and, and find in that the strength to deal with the sorrows and the temptations. He's always there. He's always for us. And so finally, final point. I hope you can see how this psalm works. At the core are those circumstances and then the character of God and the benefits of God. Then you work your way out and it's about calling on the Lord. Now the, the end of that is thanksgiving. I love the Lord. Praise the Lord. But the next steps in are about calling upon the Lord. Calling upon Him in your need. Calling upon Him with thanksgiving. So this is connected and it's, it's there on purpose for us to model to us what we ought to do. We're to call upon Him. The psalmist says, I, I will call upon the Lord as long as He lives. There's, there's passion in this psalm. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. I will call upon Him as long as I live. He starts to, of course, recount the circumstances and, and he, he repeats, I called upon the Lord. I called upon the Lord. That's instructive for us. We're to call upon the Lord. We're not to hesitate, but to call upon Him in all circumstances as we face these temptations. We're to live a lifestyle of calling upon the Lord. It's repeated throughout. And then when He delivers us, we're to call upon Him again in thanksgiving and in praise. We're to live this lifestyle of calling upon God for our needs and when He answers us. That, this is a picture of the, the life of the believer. The psalmist at the end, he's calling upon the Lord. 
he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Um, I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. Uh, earlier, what should I render the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. So the psalm is ending with the psalm thinking of going to the temple. That was their focal point where they worship. Now, for us, we carry the Spirit of God with us, so we're temples, but also the people of God together, like right now, we are the temple of God. And so the psalmist is thinking, he's been so good to me, I can't wait to get with all of God's people and give him thanks with God's people. And there's an appropriate application for us coming together on Sundays and, and giving God thanks and, and singing together, sharing testimonies. With the reason we have a mic here is not only for prophetic words, but if you have a testimony of how God has worked in your life, share it with us. The psalmist can't help but not only call upon God when he needs God, but when he answers, he can't help but call upon him with thanksgiving in front of everybody. The cup of salvation would have been an offering, a, a, a liquid offering that you would pour out, something precious to the Lord. And he wants to, to go and be at the temple and call upon the Lord and give thanks and celebrate what God has done. I hope you see the pattern here of calling upon the Lord in need and upon Him in thanksgiving. Guys, this is the Christian life. Hardship at times, but a faithful God who's gracious, who answers our prayers. Therefore, we call upon Him. We call upon Him in need. We call upon Him in giving thanks. And, and life in many ways is just cycle after cycle of this. When I was a kid, I... One of my favorite shows, and sorry for all the stories of when I was a kid, but I actually was a kid one day, a long time ago. Uh, one of my favorite shows was Ultraman. Uh, Ultraman was a Japanese live-action live uh, monster show with guys that dressed up in Godzilla suits and wrestled on miniature sets. But when you're six years old, it's incredibly real. And they're very scary, actually, too. And back then, in the late 60s, early 70s, um, it was my favorite. And the way the story went was the same way the story went every time. Some giant evil monster invaded Earth and was causing trouble. And the, the human characters in the story would lift up this beacon thing. I don't really remember. I mean, I looked it up, but as a kid, I just remember it was the beacon thing. You lift up the beacon thing, and then who shows up? Ultraman. Ultraman shows up. And Ultraman was this robot guy who uh, was really good at karate. And he also had these, this special ray that he would shoot and all these other things. And, and guess what Ultraman would do? Yeah, save the day. He beat up the monster. And then that was the end of the episode. Everybody would celebrate at the end. And every episode was the same thing over and over again. But it never grew old. Each one was exciting. Each one was entrancing for me as a six-year-old. Now, I can't say now I, I would do that. But back then, it was incredible. I just loved to watch... Ultraman saved the day. And I was just as happy as the people on the set when he did it. Guys, it's a picture of life. Life is like that. God in His sovereignty allows us to go through these ups and downs. We're going to face things that are hard. We're going to face dire circumstances. And yet, He is always there for us. And so life is in many ways a cycle just like Ultraman. A monster shows up on the scene. You feel overwhelmed. But you remember the ultra, ultraman. Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, victorious. And so we call upon Him. And guess what? He answers again and again. And then at the end, what do you do? 
You celebrate. He answered me. He's been good to me. That's what's going on in this wonderful psalm. This is a pattern for life. So let me encourage you in light of these things. Let me encourage you to spend lots of time in the Psalms. These are meant to shape us. They're meant to be something we rehearse. Originally, as I mentioned earlier, in Jesus' day, all of the people of God would have been very familiar with these Psalms. Kind of like as well as you know the lyrics to songs. I can recite probably everything by Bruce Springsteen from 1972 to 1982. Every single line of every single song. Um, and so there's that familiarity that would have been in the Old Testament. Well, the Psalms are supposed to be like that for us. And so I, look, I just want to encourage you. It's a simple thing to do. In the morning, read a psalm. Pray through a psalm. Let it shape you. Let it mold you. Let it, let it form your mind and your emotions and how you think about yourself and your circumstances and those around you. How you think about God, most importantly. Let me encourage you to call upon the Lord regularly. I know you guys do this. But to pray daily. To bring your needs to God daily. To give Him thanks daily. Those two simple exercises. Thanking God and asking Him for help. In the morning, at lunchtime, and in the evening. Daniel actually prayed three times a day. You don't have to pray like... You know, for a whole hour, three times a day. But to take time during your day with the regular rhythm of prayer. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Now, we are, ought to pray as we go along, just doing whatever we're doing. But, but to set aside special time where you slow down for a moment and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you've done. Maybe you read a psalm. To make this a habit of life. How many times do you look at your phone during the day? I look at my phone a lot during the day. I probably look at my phone 200 times during the day. Honestly. And I'm not like a, I, I don't do much on my phone in some ways. But We have a habit of looking at our phone, right? And that shapes you. And it's not necessarily bad. I'm not trying to crack on that. I'm just saying that's a habit that you have. You look at your phone. Let us develop habits of looking at the Psalms. Looking to God in prayer and thanksgiving. And just to weave that in your day. That's how we apply this, guy. This, this psalm is meant to have an impact, but the impact won't last beyond today if you're not rehearsing the truth, getting time in the psalms. I, let me encourage you to, if you can, join us on Thursday nights via Zoom for now um, to pray. This is what we do on Thursday nights. We do Psalm 116. We give thanks, and we pray for needs. And we watch God come and answer our needs because He's great and mighty. This psalm teaches us to call upon our gracious God in our struggles. To celebrate His rescue with a life of thanksgiving, independence. And to, in that, have a heart that says, I love the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Psalm 116. And we thank You for the truths that are here. We're not left to ourselves in our circumstances, but you are faithful. You are good and gracious. And we can call upon you and you answer. But for that, and I pray you'd help us to grow more and more in calling out to you 
and, and depending on You and giving You thanks. Lord, You have done so much for us. Most of all, Christ crucified and risen for us for eternal life in You. We thank You, Lord. We pray we will be a people shaped by these truths and You would be greatly glorified as we say, I love You, Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen.